Joe, I know I'm supposed to record the Shattered Shield tonight, but um, he he said he'd be uh, out. So, you know, we could stop by the podcast, you know, have a drink. It'll only be 10 minutes. 10 minutes? 10 minutes. 10 minutes. Okay. Hello, and welcome to another fantabulous episode of the OST Party. This is a movie soundtrack podcast where movie fans and music fans get together and have a rockin' good time talking about all of our favorite movie soundtracks. Hi, my name is Joseph Wade. I will be your host for this evening. Here with me tonight, as always, is my lovely and belligerent co-host, Libby Cudmore. Libby, it's been a minute since we've been on this show. It has been a long, hot minute. So, but we're happy to be back, as always. Absolutely, yes. How have you been? I've been okay. How about you? I am surviving. Yes, I think that's the best we could hope for. I think, which is why tonight's movie, uh, similar to last week's movie, is so important. Just a nice little bright confection for all of you in these increasingly dire times. Yes, absolutely. Tonight on the show, uh, we're, we're discussing the 2003 uh, romantic comedy, quote-unquote, down with love and i only put it in scare quotes because it's a very odd movie and we'll get into that shortly Mm -hmm. it's romantic comedy kind of in uh in name only in that it it almost feels constricted to that genre it's uh a a loving homage to these sort of sex comedies of Mm. the 60s so rom-com doesn't quite fit but almost to the point of being a parody yes but a loving one yes because it's it it knows the genre so well, and it knows what it's uh, lamp not lampooning because it's not making jokes about it, but it's doing that genre so well that it knows exactly where to sort of dial things up to eleven, just for mm-hmm. fun. Yes, and it's uh, specifically riffing uh, mostly on Pillow Talk, the Doris Day Rock Hudson film. Yes, which if you've never seen is also delightful. Yes, and they they specifically reference that in in the film at, at one point. Mm-hmm. So we'll we'll get into that here in a little bit. But before we get into any of that, uh, we have some unfinished business from our last episode. A thousand years ago. A thousand bajillion years ago, when we talked about Bill and Ted's bogus journey. And uh, the poll from that episode was about what we expected, honestly. Um, we asked you what the best song on the Bogus Journey soundtrack was. And with exactly 50% of the vote... Uh, you voted God Gave Rock and Roll to You by Kiss as the best yeah. song on the soundtrack. We disagree, but that's okay. It's the most famous song on the soundtrack doesn't mean it's the best. <laughs> Maybe uh, you're all just lazy. That's true. Um, but with second place, with 23%, was uh, Faith No More's The Perfect Crime. Okay. Uh, 18%, third place, uh, wing- Winger's Battle Stations. Yes! 9% was The Reaper Rap, which honestly was kind of the 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 throwaway uh entry so i don't feel too bad about that yeah you weren't supposed to vote for that one yeah but like two of you did so you know what who did this props to you i guess <laughs> oh boy but yeah so at, at the end of this episode when we release this on on uh, thursday we will put up the poll for uh what songs are the best songs on the down with love soundtrack so look out for that on twitter so without uh further ado libby tell us a little bit about down with love so Down With Love, 
follows Barbara Novak, an author who has written a book entitled Down With Love about how women can achieve uh, sort of equal status in the workplace by saying no to love and having sex a la carte the way a man does. If they're no longer tied to uh, feelings of love, then they can uh, focus on work. It's very heteronormative way of looking at relationships, but we're going to let it slide for tonight. Uh, she is up against Catcher Block, a man's man, ladies' man, man about town, who writes for uh, No Magazine. And he attempts to trick her into falling in love by pretending to be an astronaut named Zip Martin, the kind of man who won't have sex on the first date for the kind of woman who absolutely will. It is an absolutely charming film, and it is probably my favorite movie of all time. I know I talk a lot about Roadhouse being my favorite movie, but if I'm being serious, this is absolutely it. This movie brings me so much joy. This is a perfectly acceptable favorite movie to have because it's oh, it's, it's just such a unique, strange animal that I, I honestly have to respect it. Yes, and I in, in watching it for this, I hadn't watched it in a long time because it's one of those films I don't watch that often because I know it so well. Mm -hmm. And I realized how deep an influence this movie has had on me since I first saw it in 2004. Yeah, this is not this is one that I hadn't seen since college. So it was a, it was a lot of fun getting to revisit this because this it's it's more playful and silly than I think I remember it being. Mm -hmm. That's no, just delightful. How did you come across it? Um I'm not exactly sure why I decided to rent this in college when I did. And I, I think it was just because it was something to do and if I'm being honest, I had a crush on Renee Zellweger because who didn't? Well, yeah, honest. I did too. But I really, I just enjoyed the the craft of it and how how obsessed this movie is with you know movies from the '50s and '60s and just the pastiche and the style and the sort of tongue in cheek sexiness of it is just amusing to me. I I just absolutely enjoyed it, head you know head to toe. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember, I specifically remember having conversations in college because when you know when you're a freshman in college and you're all thrown into a dorm together, you know everybody kind of goes goes to meals together and talks about favorite movies and this and that. This was back before, of course, uh, everyone was trapped in their dorm because of COVID. Back in the day, you could actually see your college buddies. Yes, in the long, long ago, <laughs> in the before time, uh, when you could actually have conversations with people face to face and not do it on a podcast. <laughs> but the, the the conversation always would come around to like your favorite types of movies and you know all the girls in the group would say oh this is my favorite romantic comedy i'd like this i like that and then they would turn to me knowing i'm a movie guy and say joe what's your favorite romantic comedy and i'd think about it and i would say well i really like down with love <laughs> and then they would stare at me blankly for a minute like we've we haven't seen that we don't know what that is and then about a week or two later, one of them came back to me and said, hey, I watched that movie you told me to watch. That doesn't count. That's not a real romantic comedy. Try it Oh, again. for Christ's sakes. <laughs> so, you know what? Whatever. I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. <laughs> <sighs> Down with love, according to girls I know, is not a real romantic comedy. <laughs> That's funny, because I know more men who like this movie than women so that checks out i guess yeah this is one of my husband's favorite movies and this is one of my friend jason's absolute favorite movies so there you go so now i had actually watched this 
Uh, you're gonna you're gonna hear a lot about my dating life because this this movie is so linked with so much of my life. Um, my ex fiance had rented it for me, and I think I was homesick or something, and so he went to Blockbuster and rented me a bunch of movies, and. I think I had asked for this because, like every girl in the early aughts, I had the hots for Ewan McGregor. Something fierce. Moulin Rouge did it. I don't even like that movie. But god damn it, he's good looking. And I loved Renee Zelliger in Chicago, so I'm just like, well, this is the most perfect thing that has ever existed. And I absolutely <laughs> fell in love with this movie. And I think in part because my husband, who I was crushing on, while still with Aaron, looked a lot like Ewan McGregor. Aha! And so I could sort of live vicariously through this movie and crush on Ewan McGregor while actually having a crush on Ian. And so I would just watch this movie over and over and think like, oh, you know, Ian's never gonna, he's never gonna go out with me. He's never gonna like me. And, you know, long story short, here we are. But uh, so this this movie is like deeply, deeply a part of who I am. <laughs> so I think Aaron actually bought the copy I have. And then I was like, see a sucker. <laughs> Left him. <laughs> as soon as I got back to college. Fled the scene. Yeah. That's so, adorable. Yeah. <laughs> he ended up married to someone else, so it worked out. Fair enough. He's fine. He stole my best friend, so it worked out. Yeah, you give me I gotta, cake. Yeah, exactly. Should take it as fucking GameCube. Well, <laughs> before we get into the soundtrack proper, guess what? Billboarding School is back. Yes. I actually have some stats and data to talk about. Not I bet you do. Not a lot. So uh, Down With Love came out, uh, the movie came out um, May 19th, 2003. Uh, it was number four at the box office the week behind Daddy Daycare, X-Men 2, and The Matrix Reloaded. Okay, you all are terrible. Everybody I hope is you all terrible. know that. Made thirty nine and a half million on a thirty five million budget, so it broke even. I guess did okay. Yeah, the soundtrack. It's pretty though, niche. Hit the charts on June seventh, two thousand three, at one hundred and ninety one. Number one album in the country that week was Fourteen Shades of Grey by the band Stained. I don't even know. I've never heard that album. I, I think it's the is that is that the one that that stupid it's been a while song is from. I don't know. I, I get all of those bands confused. Yeah, it's all one band, and it all sounds the same. Yeah, holy shit. But yeah, so that's that's where we were at, as a country. And also, the top soundtrack that week at number five was The Matrix Reloaded. <sighs> People. But number two soundtrack in America, number seven, was the Lizzie McGuire movie. Oh, boy. And I... Okay. That was popular for a minute. We are swimming against the tide here tonight. 2003 was a very strange year, is what it we're saying. Really was. Where was Smash Mouth? Um, I think they were just about gone at this point. They had retreated. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but so the the sad the tragedy is that Down with Love only lasted on the charts for one week. It peaked at 191 and then disappeared forever. Oh, especially because it has a Ewan McGregor song on it. I'm kind of surprised just because Moulin Rouge had been such a hit a few years previous and everybody was just like in love with him singing. And not, well, not just that, but also Renee Zellweger with Chicago. 
That's true. So like this, you, you would think that this would have been a, a bigger hit than it was because it's two things that everybody apparently loves in what is supposed to be, you know, the the wacky sex comedy of the year. And it just kind of fizzled. No, we just didn't appreciate it. Yeah. Un- it did get good reviews, though. And Nathan Rabin, my arch nemesis, really loved it, proving that a stop clock is right two times a day. <laughs> Even a blind squirrel, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Yeah. But- my arch nemesis and I have fairly similar tastes. He also likes Earth Girls Are Easy. Yeah. You- and he named his book The Big Rewind. I was going to say, you have similar tastes in book titles, too. Yes. <laughs> Where to start with the soundtrack tonight? Well, we start the soundtrack right off the top with uh, Michael Bublé and Holly Palmer singing a cover of the song Down With Love. Let's go to a clip first. Okay. Take it away. Give it back to the birds and the bees and the Viennese. Down with eyes, romantic and stupid. Down with sighs and down with Cupid. From the list of that dog, down with love. Now, this is a standard. Yeah. Uh, it was written in 1937. Obviously, Judy Garland covered it, as we see in the film, the version which is not on the soundtrack. And Barbara Streisand has covered it. It's very much kind of your, your jazz standard. The best version is Blossom Deary's. It's also the fastest version on the first mix CD that Michael Sharp ever made me. He put the Blossom Deary version, which I thought was incredibly sweet of him because he knew I loved this movie. And I had actually given him my copy. He had rented Shallow Grave for me from Netflix. He knew I liked Ewan McGregor. (laughs) I gave him this. He then gave me a copy of Out Magazine that he had for some reason. Um... And with Ewan McGregor on the cover, it was actually talking about Down With Love, because Ewan McGregor is definitely gay-friendly in this. Definitely pretty nude. Oh, yeah. Oh, Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So, uh, so that, the, even though I I do like this version, the Blossom Deary version is still sort of the closest to my Mm -hmm. heart. So here's one of the things that I found most interesting about this soundtrack is mm. we had a weird and very short uh, jazz vocal revival in the mm-hmm. early aughts. That's sort of mom jazz that you would hear on adult contemporary. And uh, Nora Jones, Come Away With Me, yeah, was one of the big ones. She was huge and, at that time. Yeah. And Michael Buble hit right at that time. Uh, this album came out the same year as his self-titled debut. And actually two of the songs that appear on this also appear on that. And and we'll talk about those two later, but uh, we've got a lot to say about Michael Buble. So, but we don't want to, we don't want to get it all out in the first. Yeah. He'll, he'll be back. Oh yes. But yeah, um, so I'm kind of surprised that this one, it, it is a little bit of a neat thing, but I'm a little surprised that this one didn't do better because it definitely does have that mom jazz. Yeah. And and when you said that this this had like a revival in the early 2000s, I definitely feel like it was kind of like an evolution of like the neo swing thing fading out in the late 90s and being Mm -hmm. replaced by by this, basically. Yeah, it's a little more chill. Like all the moms discovered the neo swing revival and turned it into this. Yes. So uh, our film opens with uh, Barbara Novak arriving from Maine, just resplendent in that little pink 
travel suit of hers, little plaid coat. Um, it should be noted, we're not going to talk about the score, which is by uh, Mark Shaman. The score is, like, lilting and lovely and very, like, I Dream of Jeannie, Poppy, and just, like, it's just, like, champagne poured mm-hmm. throughout the rest of the film. Uh, some of it does appear on the soundtrack, but... Uh, well, what I'll say about the soundtrack, his score, is that what I love about it is they use it so, like, heavily in the film that, like, the score even punctuates, like, people, like, blinking their eyes and making, like, very small motions. Mm-hmm. And, like, it's just woven into the film and, like, every action they take because, like, mm-hmm. it's the level of pastiche that they're going for here. Yes. It's, it's, an, it's an incredibly deliberate film. Yes. But one of the things that this film, one of the many, many things that this film had an influence on me is definitely my look at the time when i saw this i started buying up just i have i still have one dress and i'll i'll take a picture of myself in it but again these very like 60s kind of cotton shifts um kitten heels i had a round suitcase just like the one she carries in the first scene later uh we'll see another character carrying like a hard shell blue suitcase that mm-hmm. i also bought a replica of like a pan am blue suitcase so you yeah. can fit nothing in those. Yeah, like I, they always call those like hat boxes, right? And I always assume they're just for hats. <laughs> a hat box is taller, so that it doesn't mm. get crushed. That makes um, sense. I have one of those too. Okay. But the blue suitcase, you really could put like a slip, and that's about it in there. <laughs> and you definitely cannot fit her whole beautiful wardrobe. But I, I did have it, and I, uh, I stopped carrying it because they're very heavy to lug through uh like the airport oh yeah like airport security i'm sure is is rough so but i still have it somewhere Hmm. i'll post my barbara novak cosplay (laughs) there you go that that would be a fun halloween costume that nobody is gonna get exactly and then i will have in upstate new york where it is 40 degrees on halloween mm-hmm. no one's gonna put put a tattoo of you as barbara novak on their chest and that's a shame <laughs> maybe one day <laughs> one of these days <laughs> when this film comes back around and everyone suddenly loves it again after they hear this podcast because you really should watch this movie it's amazing you really should it we, we're not going to be able to do it justice but we're going to try yes um, my one of my favorite details about the very beginning of this film is like the the narrator um, says uh, the place New York City the time now 1962, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like so. that very it's that very early like moment in the 60s when like the 50s fashion was still huge but it was everything wasn't like dire and depressing like this was like pre this is like the birth of NASA pre Kennedy assassination 60s you know mm-hmm. and it's very still- bright and colorful and fun. Still so hopeful. Yes. yes. The swing in 60s. And I think that's why part of why I like this film now is because, like, I, I, liked, I like to remember a time when things felt hopeful. Yeah. You know? Exactly. Ugh. Ugh. We are. We are through the looking glass, people. Mm-hmm. So, now Barbara has come to New York to meet with her publisher, Vicki Hiller, who's played by the incredibly beautiful and incredibly talented Sarah Paulson. And... Vicky is, of course, one of the lone women working as an editor at Banner House. She appears in an elevator in a cloud of smoke. Um, <laughs> yes. And it's just like lighting one cigarette off the other. Very nervous. I will say this. Um, this movie gave me 
And I, I say this jokingly, obviously. Very unrealistic expectations of publishing. When The Big Rewind came out, I did not get an apartment. Um, <laughs> I thought I was going to get to smoke more. <laughs> no. <laughs> I will say this, that my editor, Chelsea, could not have been any better to me if she was Vicki Hiller. Mm. We did go to lunch. We did not wear, like, matching capelets. Alas. We would That's have, a though. shame. I know. Oh. She totally would have been down for it, I know. I watched her. I will say this about Chelsea. I, I watched her eat chili in a white sweater. That's bold. She's amazing. She's that. That's a woman without fear. <laughs> she has no fear. She is one of the coolest people I know. She's, she's not working in publishing anymore, which is a shame. Um, but Chelsea, if you're listening, I still love you. And she was wonderful to work with. So even if she didn't get me a beautiful mid-century apartment with a balcony. Times have changed, obviously. Yeah. Yes. In the publishing world. <laughs> oh, my God. So now uh, in the meeting with uh, the Banner House publishers, they sort of warn Barbara that her text about, you know, ignoring men and just eating chocolate to ward off sexual impulses will it won't work because the men the men of manhattan are devious they're dangerous they'll be coming at you from every angle when you're watching your front they'll attack from the rear and while you're protecting your rear they'll drop out of the sky and then we cut to catch your block in a helicopter tragically 2003 era ewan mcgregor never dropped out of a helicopter into say Binghamton, New York? No such luck. Oh, oh, oh my. I'm now, so sorry. <laughs> now, Ewan McGregor plays Catcher Block, uh, a ladies' man, man's man, man about town, who is the head writer for No Magazine, headed up by uh, Peter McManus, mm-hmm. played by the delightful David Hyde Pierce. Niles is back in full force. <laughs> yes. And this scene, the you're fired, no I'm not. Mm-hmm. My friend Jason and I quote that all the time. <laughs> One of us will just text the other like you're fired. No I'm not. <laughs> a catcher was supposed to have been on an assignment to do a report on NASA harboring Nazis. <laughs> and instead he went to a beach party at NASA. <laughs> Where he found Nazis hiding at his luau. Yes, as you do. And also, during this time, it should be noted that Ewan McGregor is in a towel as he is explaining this. Of course. This is crucial. (laughs) It's the best, like, inessential info dump in a movie. Yes, and it's also in a towel. Um, Peter has the lie, Nazis are bad, we're good, which was funny in 2003 so it's like ha, we'll never have a problem with nazis <laughs> if you're a nazi and you're listening to this podcast fuck off but this was also at a time in like what 2003 when we didn't really have that problem but also like oh yeah remember how nazis took us to the moon <laughs> oh yeah that Yikes. happened didn't it <laughs> yeah and that's funny they leave that part out of uh you know american history in high school yeah, like, oh, we're Ron Braun. He was uh, a, a great scientist. Yeah, he was also a Nazi. <laughs> they forgave Germany, they can forgive us. 
That's true. So, um, this, I just, again, I cannot specify enough. No one in 2003 was as handsome as Ewan McGregor was in this movie. And, and he was knocking these roles out of the park in 2003, too. Yeah, you know? he is like, peak handsome. Like, set aside Star Wars for a minute. Just ignore that ever happened. Okay, but you've fine got, by me. You've got. I forgot it had until you mentioned it. Oops. Um, but in the middle of all of that, he was doing, you know, Down With Love. He was doing Big Fish. Um, he was doing God, um, Moulin Rouge. And he was just doing these these kinds of roles, like, nonstop. And they were all, he was all, like, excellent in all of them. <laughs> yes. And he was on magazine covers, and I have all of them. Every single one, huh? Yeah. I have a Down With Love poster in my office. Oh, that's that's awesome. It has hung in my apartment and now my house forever. If you look at old pictures, uh, Record Saturday pictures, you can see it in a lot of them. <laughs> As I said, this is my husband and I's favorite movie. Mm. Um, now, uh, here we get uh, our first split screen. Because Barbara is supposed to meet up with Catch, who, of course, ditches her for a series of... Uh, stewardesses. Yeah, a series of Pan Am stewardesses, of course. And uh, he calls her on the phone each time with a lot of sexual innuendo about a little English foxhound, a little French poodle, a little Swedish lapdog. It's delightful. And the split screen um, goes back to, again, those Rock Hudson Doris Day sex mm-hmm, comedies. Mm-hmm. I've always had like a thing against Jerry Ryan. Uh, who plays Gwendolyn, the English flight attendant. I can't explain it, except I think my ex thought she was really hot in, like, 1997 when she was on Voyager, and I probably was projecting my own insecurity onto her. But, I mean, she is cute in this film, in her little Pan Am stewardess uniform. I mean, if you want to blame Jerry Ryan for anything, I mean, blame her for... Everything going on in the country right now is because of Jerry Ryan. No, I'm not gonna uh, hold that to Jerry yeah. Ryan. Yeah, I mean, there is there's a, a a whole like conspiracy theory about how Jerry Ryan led to the Obama presidency, which of which naturally led to everything that's happening right now. Huh. A, so um, Jerry Ryan, her ex husband Jack Ryan, was the Republican candidate for U.S. Senate in Illinois. And the scandal around him cheating on her in their like their divorce knocked him out of the race and led paved the way for Obama to pick up that seat. And hmm. from there, Obama, you know, catapulted to the White House. Huh. Yeah. Okay. My ex would have absolutely dated her in 1997 when he was 18. You well, could have had everything, Jerry. You could have had a nerd who wore tapered leg jeans and Star Wars shirts, but you didn't know what you had. The scandal surrounding Jerry Ryan dating a kid who wears Star Wars shirts would have been amazing. <laughs> Star Wars and Star Trek together at last. Oh, no. I know. You could have had it all, Jerry. <laughs> Best of both worlds. Hey, that's a Star Trek thing. <laughs> let's, let's... I think that's a Hannah Montana thing. Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Hey, it's also a Van Halen thing. It's also a Clerks thing. <laughs> <laughs> Best of both worlds is a horrible joke. Let's move yes. on. So um, we get one of my favorite lines here. He takes her to go see Camelot. 
because he tells her there's always time for a matinee, which was the first I, moment in this movie where I almost had to scream into a pillow from just, like, pent-up desire. Um, mm. I didn't. I sort of swallowed it. I think I bit my hand. <laughs> but they go to see Camelot. Uh-huh. More on Camelot later. Um, and we're actually coming up on our next tune because Barbara finally tells him after overhearing the stewardesses all talk about how they were with him. She says she wouldn't date him for a hundred years. Now, uh, she's been trying to have lunch or breakfast and dinner with Peter and Vicky. Vicky, of course, has to leave. Peter is heartbroken. So Catch takes him to a floor show at the Astro Lounge and we get One Mint Julep by Xavier Cugat and his orchestra. Let's go to a clip. Oh, this is a fun scene. Yes. <laughs> oh man, and like David Hyde Pierce, like he 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 plays a drunk, a drunk like prissy man so well. It's just hilarious. I can't get over gravity. It. It's a it's a NASA themed like uh, gentleman's club routine, and like all yeah. girls are wearing like sexy astronaut outfits, and there's like. Uh, rocket ships and planets everywhere it's very strange <laughs> yeah it's sort of like a sex like a burlesque of the jetsons yeah <laughs> oh god it's it's a you know it's probably rule 50, rule 34 just judy jetson let's the less said about this the better um this song uh this is period appropriate um this song has been performed by everyone Mm-hmm. This version omits the lyrics. Um, it is, however, two years later that the film takes place. Actually, a lot of the peer, like quote unquote, period appropriate music that we hear takes uh, is from 1964. Ah, uh, okay. So, uh, this version was also used in 1996's Swingers. Huh. Yes, it's quintessential hip. Mm, yeah. That it's big band, but also very like lounge, very like, very like mid century modern sort of mid century, con- yes, temporary cool, yes, yeah. like a coffee table with spindly legs. <laughs> exactly, mid century—the perfect term for when you don't know how to describe something. <laughs> yes, but it, it it does have like a a very no, it, it does it does pristine it because it it doesn't quite dip into exotica. It's got again like that that latin flair but still very big band yes so it's a it's, it's a fun song and, I, and I'll, I'll i'll go ahead and say this for like the soundtrack as a whole i had a couple of bad days last week and coming home from work putting this soundtrack on just plain made me feel better yeah like, it's a very upbeat most of the songs on this album are just like so bright and fun and just effervescent i guess is the best word to use because like it, it is it, the whole thing just evaporates but you you feel good listening to it yeah it's like a good bubble bath exactly yeah so, so this is definitely one of one of the highlights for me just because it's i don't know something about it i just 
gets me in the a good party mood, I think. Yeah, it's a it's a feel good movie. So I um, long story short, the book uh which they think is going to be uh very sort of hidden away. Uh there's one copy, Doubleday has one and Scribner's has one. They decide that they're going to get her book on the Ed Sullivan show. And they get Judy Garland to sing Down With Love using footage of Judy Garland. Now, of course, when this was made, uh, nobody knew that Renee Zellweger was going to win an Oscar for playing Judy Garland, as she did this year. But she did this year. And yeah, and having having seen, having been one of the 10 people who's actually seen that film and then watching this, it's kind of uncanny. It really is a little uh, odd to see Judy Garland like on the TV screen singing this song and then seeing Renee Zellweger and remembering, oh, yeah. Did she do this song in, in Judy? I don't believe she did, but I okay. could be wrong. Okay. I haven't seen it. I wanted to, and then I missed it, and then just haven't gotten around to it. It was one of those films that I, I kind of – I read box right before the Oscars because I, I thought, well, it might win. Let's just have a look. And her performance is great, but the rest of the film is not so much. Yeah. Not so much. That's fair. Uh, um, Down With Love is not on the Judy soundtrack. Okay. So that's too go. bad. It would have been nice to hear her sing it. Yeah. It would have been great. So. Um, and we see uh, the the head of Banner, uh, TB, Theodore Banner. That's Tony Randall. Yes. Who, of course, played the David Hyde Pierce roles in Pillow Talk and those other sex comedies and and now he's the man he's the man at the top who has to say you know yes or no to the uh the down with love book and why this is an abomination or not mm-hmm. so it's it's a nice sort of uh blessing on the film yeah yeah it should also be noted as we near october that uh tony randall voiced brain gremlin in gremlins too yes absolutely we can never forget that yes Rock on, you crazy, crazy man. So Ketch comes up with a plan that he is going to pretend to be an astronaut named Zip Martin to trick Barbara Novak into falling in love with him, thus proving that down with love doesn't work. And as such, they end up going on a beautiful montage of dates. Yes, and a a montage in which they're... Their costumes are all color coordinated. Mm-hmm. He's wearing blue and she's wearing pink. And it was at this moment in the in the film when uh, my girlfriend Nikki she just turned to me and said, "They're wearing this. They're, they're wearing those colors again. Is this going to be the whole movie?" Yes, she does wear a red dress though. Mm-hmm. She well, she does. They do they do change colors, but like primarily he's in blue. Primarily she's in pink. Uh, Peter is in yellow, and Vicky is in red. Mm-hmm. Like they're all, they all have their signature colors. Yes, because it, by this time, uh, Peter is trying to seduce Vicky. Yes. So. And not doing a very great job of it. No. But um, they, uh, they finally go to see Camelot, and Catch tells her truthfully that he's never seen this show because he always makes out with a girl in uh, the balcony. Uh. Uh, my friend Jason and I did watch Camelot one night, inspired by this. We did not make out. We watched the whole thing. I have never seen Camelot, but I've been to Medieval Times several times. 
We described medieval times to a friend who didn't know what it was. I've never been. We described it as an Applebee's staffed by Ren Fair. It, that is exactly it. They serve you all half a half a, a literal half a chicken, no utensils. Just do it on your own. Oh Christ. Yeah. I'm gonna make so much money like sneaking utensils and like selling them to people in medieval times. Oi, Governor, the, the medieval black market is here in town. Selling <laughs> real miniature pitchforks at a, a high price. <laughs> oh god, I hate it. Mm. But no, we we, uh, we went a couple weeks ago, um, and because you know COVID COVID nineteen restrictions forced them to sort of space everybody out and do all these weird like safety precautions. But because of that, even though we were in the third row, literally nobody in front of us. We had a perfect nice. view. Nice. It was fantastic. <laughs> anyway, so we're not here to talk about medieval times. We're here to talk about Camelot. <laughs> no, that's for uh, the cable guy. Oh yeah, that's right. Man, I should have saved this. But I'm. Um... They go, of course, to all, like, the best places in New York, including the Bitter End, uh, the Village Vanguard, which I have been to. It has not been updated. Um, if you are in New York, please go see jazz at the Village Vanguard. It's it's so great. The banquettes are still, like, the, like, red leather. And honestly, it still smells like cigarette smoke. <laughs> oh, no. It's just, like, baked in. It's kind of amazing. Um... But, uh, meanwhile, uh, Vicky and, uh, Peter are not having as good a time. Uh, they, Peter, of course, is in Ketch's place pretending to be the kind of man who would have Ketch's apartment with all its secret gadgets, including a hidden hi-fi and a bed that pops out of the sofa and knocks Vicky on her back. Yes, and the hidden hi-fi, he hits the button, and all of a sudden, the 1812 overture just starts blasting. <laughs> and like, firing records at them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's a fun scene. So they flee the scene. Yes. All, uh, all the while, he's just trying to find the hidden bar. The little yes. button that like, reveals the bar coming out of the wall. <laughs> so, I don't get it, Peter. How does somebody lose their built-in bar? That's a good question. <laughs> hmm. oh, my favorite detail is... Uh, when Down With Love is suddenly a hit and it starts to like fly off the bookshelves and you see like the line of women going into the store to buy it and then you get the um, like the the shot of like this, the book sales charts. Down With Love is number one, outselling uh, Profiles in Courage by JFK. Mm-hmm. The only other book this movie has ever heard of. <laughs> <laughs> they replace like the JFK cardboard cutout with one of Barbara Novak. Yeah, with one of her. <laughs> it's great. So... While Vicky and Peter are having their disastrous date in his apartment, Catch has cooked dinner for Barbara. Cooked like a homemade dinner. It is another scene filled with innuendo and sexual tension. And at this point in the film, I needed a leather strap to bite on because I was screaming. Oh my god. But mind you, this, it's actually the meal that Peter cooked for himself because this sketch hatched the scheme in about two minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's the scene. It's the moment where he goes and dumps the ice bucket over his head. They've had their kiss. He yes. has a great line where he's like, I've never been more ready to go to bed. And she. I've never been more ready to go to bed. I'm so glad that you feel that way. You know that I feel the same way. Well, then let's get to bed. 
I'll call you a taxi. The sexual tension in there, you could feel it coming through the screen. And yeah, again, I'm like biting my sleeve, just trying to keep from screaming. Right. And like both of their ruses are starting to like break down and oh, they actually are just falling for each other now. Yeah, because they realize like, holy shit, that's Ewan McGregor. Holy shit, that's Renee Zellweger. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> we got a bone. Yep. The kids would look amazing. Yes, they would. But then, then we get like the next day after uh, she tries to go to bed with him, and he rebuffs her, and you know they have that whole conflict there. Uh, the next day, they're having. He calls her, and we get the second of these like split screen sequences and this one is like if if the others were like innuendo before this one is just straight up like a, P- a pg sex scene in a movie mm-hmm. it's fantastic <laughs> yeah it looks like she's blowing him it looks like he's going down on her mm-hmm. you know he's doing push-ups and... yeah the one where she's lying uh, lying on the floor and then on the top of the split screen he's just doing push-ups it's in a towel again a towel. i cannot reiterate how many times he's in a towel in this movie well, well, and then she's like in a nighty with a with a, with a long flowing like. Uh, rope. No, it's the it's the two it's piece. A, it's the the two piece uh, plaid. It's not a romper, but it's sort of like a little sunbathing play suit. The kitten heel. She's so cute. <laughs> she's the cutest. So her outfits in this are amazing. I don't know why this didn't win the Academy Award for best costumes ever in all of history. Uh, again, unloved in its time. Hmm. And yeah, they're gonna have their their big night. So, um, and we get two songs here, which are beautifully edited together. Which one do you yeah. want to talk about first? I want to talk about "Fly Me to the Moon." Which one do you want to talk about? Well, I I also want to talk about "Fly Me to the Moon." Oh, okay. Well, uh, you know, the, the great thing is that we can talk about both of these at the same time because they're <laughs> the same song. Anyway, so yeah, well, actually, which one should I play first? Um, let's go with uh, the first one because it's track three. So yeah, here we go. Track three is Fly Me to the Moon by Frank Sinatra and Count Basie. With song and let me sing forevermore. You are all I long for, all I worship and adore. In other words, please be true. In other words. This song makes me swoon. Come on. Who doesn't love this song? Oh, my God. Yes. And this is played while he's getting dressed. Mm-hmm. Um, again, just more of Ewan McGregor in States of Undress. This film knows what we want. This song, aside from just being, again, a Stole Cone classic, uh, Jason actually put this on a mix for me, which is the sweetest thing in the whole world. Uh, he had several mixes named for quotes from this film. The first being uh, Barbara Novak, That Don't Ring a Bell, which is what he says to her when he's pretending to be Zip Martin. And uh, there was a later one called The $6,000 Telescope, which wasn't really yours to give because it was mine, not yours, uh, which was a Peter McManus line. Mm-hmm. <laughs> My question is, why is this the song for this scene and not like the song, I guess, after this scene like after the big sex date you know why is it the song before the big sex date because it's an awesome getting ready song and it's you know sexy and bombastic and it's it boosts your confidence i guess so because he's in love with her right he's gonna fly her to the moon okay okay that makes sense so but then she fills uh, his heart with song 
<laughs> perfect. Perfect. Uh, but then while um, while he's getting dressed to the Sinatra version, she is also getting ready for their date, listening to the other version of the song on the soundtrack. Um, or it's not on the soundtrack, is it? It is. It is uh, track 10. Oh, wow. There it is. Wow. I've completely missed it. Uh, <laughs> track 10 by Astrid Gilberto. Yes. So. Let's also play a clip. Yes. Now again, both these songs are from 1964, two years after the film takes place. I, as much as I love the Frank Sinatra version, this one really grew on me. And I was almost surprised to learn that it was from 1964 because it has a similar sound to something we might hear now where, again, Kinda. you've got that like that really light female vocals. Uh, we hear that on track seven, Every Day is a Holiday with You mm-hmm. uh, by Sparrow. But this, it, it, it takes it to sort of a bossa nova place. Uh, it's again very light. Her voice is very airy. It's not quite exotica, but it's on that edge. It's like deeper into sort of the lounge genre. It's very deep into, into the lounge. Yeah. Um, this is, yeah, the, kind of the much more cocktail party version. But you're it. but you're right though. Like, I, I could definitely hear somebody today like taking this song and putting like a trap beat under it. Oh, and God. don't give anybody any ideas. I, I know, but like the I could hear like a, another version of uh, you know the Suzanne Vega Tom's Diner kind of thing. You know, going Stop on with it. this. No, <laughs> no. I am an idea generator, and my ideas must make it to the masses. <laughs> you're a bad person. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I am. Anyway, <laughs> so. They're all having their date because also Vicky and Peter are having their date. Yes. Where he reveals the whole plot. Now, she also implies that he is a homosexual, hopelessly in love with Catcher Block. Um, <laughs> which is which this, is the plot that she thinks is going on. <laughs> yes, which is adorable because she is a lesbian and he is gay. Right. So... <laughs> That just, I don't know, like, hearing that now, and it's supposed to be like, what, I'm not a homosexual, like, he kind of whispers it, because obviously in 1960s it would have been a shameful thing. Right. Um, but, like, knowing what we know about these two now, it just, I don't know, it makes it even funnier. Oh, yeah, yeah. I... David Hyde Pierce is a blessing upon this world, and we don't deserve him. Oh, no. Even if he wasn't spam a lot. Nobody's nerfed. Yeah. I guess. <laughs> But uh, one of my favorite lines in the movie is in this scene when, like, after, once he gives up the ghost about the plot and she, like, storms off. And they're, and they're in this, like, Japanese sort of restaurant. They're having sushi. <laughs> and she storms off. And then he, like, gets to the door and stops and goes, oh, where's the geisha? I need my shoes. <laughs> That's another one, like, Jason and I will quote. Honestly, if you put the two of us in a room together, we could do this whole movie. Oh, my God. We could do, like, a stage reading of Down With Love. We all, it was weird because, like, in 2005, we would alternate between, like, this, Sin City, and, oddly enough, Sideways. Huh. Those are our three favorite movies. You put those together, and that's, it's, I don't, man. That was a very, very, very odd 23-year-old. 
yeah, that's a a strange movie night. I'm a, I'm a fucking lot. I think is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> that's a, that's a, a lot to handle, yeah. <laughs> so they're over at Ketch's place, which he's pretending is Peter's place, again with the 10-minute ruse. Uh, and they're trying out his sex sofa, which mm-hmm. uh, my husband and I need to buy a new sofa. We've got sort of a, a fine one, but I was looking at that like, I really should get a sofa with a built-in hi-fi. Yeah, why not? Yeah, sex sofa. Live a little. Yeah, and it's a nice bright blue. It matches, um, you know, the the window decals we just put up. I think uh, I think that's what we're gonna go for. But now the jig is up. Yes. And we just have to put in her whole quote because we can't explain it any better than she can. Oh my god! Yeah. I would never have your undivided attention long enough for you to fall in love with me. I knew I had to do something to set myself apart. I knew I had to quit my job as your secretary and write an international bestseller controversial enough to get the attention of a New York publisher, as well as no magazine, but insignificant enough that as long as I went unseen, no magazine star journalist would refuse to do a cover story about it. I knew that every time we were supposed to meet, you would get distracted by one of your many girlfriends and stand me up, and this would give me a reason to fight with you over the phone and declare that I wouldn't meet with you for a hundred years. And then all I would have to do was be patient and wait the two or three weeks it would take for everyone in the world to buy a copy of my bestseller, and then I would begin to get the publicity I would need for you to, one, see what I look like, and two, see me denounce you in public as the worst kind of man. And of course, it's, it's given up by our friend Gwendolyn carrying a very lovely suitcase. Of course, yeah. She, she pops in for her uh, <clears throat> ten minutes and finds them already, you know, on, in the bed. Mm-hmm. And uh, be- because she has, she's read it down with love, and now she's a liberated woman, and all she wants is her ten minutes too. God damn it! Yeah, and exactly. Mean- and it's again the- two thousand three. Ewan McGregor, who wouldn't like? There's a light yeah. out that man's door. Meanwhile, the author of the book is in the bed right in front of you, and is about to renounce all of it. <laughs> it's a very, it's a, it's a very like weird like uh, uh, feedback loop, I guess. Yes, and she realizes that. Those women need her, and she has to put her feelings for catch aside because she has become a down with love girl level three right um, i what i I love about this speech is that she's giving this speech and it's very like impassioned and very serious, and then it just cuts to this uh <laughs> reaction of him, and it could have been just like a freeze frame because he's just like slack jawed and like, yeah stupid dopey face I just want to not react slap it I love it. <laughs> Slap his hideous, beautiful face. He doesn't even move. (laughs) Yeah. So, and this, she leaves him, and he's just, like, moping around in a robe and looking disheveled. And again, very Moulin rouge like, his hair is in his face. Like, he does, like, disheveled sad boy better than any fucking emo kid in 2003. Like, pack up your fucking Hot Topic, Pete Wentz. Ewan McGregor's got you beat. (laughs) So, I'm... And this, in my head, this was always where uh, Michael Buble's cover of George Michael's Kissing a Fool played. It doesn't. It appears on the soundtrack, but that's that's always sort of what plays in my head. And why don't you go ahead and play a clip? Okay. You'll see what I mean. When I could have been your star, you listened to people 
Who scared you to death And from my heart It's strange that I was wrong enough To think you'd love me too You must have been kissing So this and For Once in My Life Which is track five Both appear on Michael Bublé's Self-titled debut And uh, I honestly I love that album I know that makes me renounce all of my cool points, but I fucking love that first Michael Bublé album. You and Peggy Hill, I swear to God. <laughs> I have discovered this new singer. His name is Michael Bublé. He's a crooner. Huh. I always assumed that people who wanted to buy that type of music would do it anonymously online. I love it. It's like, it's just charming and I really love his version of Moondance, and he's probably not an anti-vaxxer, anti-COVID like lunatic like Van Morrison, but I don't know. There's something about it that I just find immensely charming. And this is such a good breakup song, too. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing about Michael Buble. He wanted to be a professional hockey player, and when he was 14, he spent like a couple summers on... Like a an ocean fishing boat, so Michael Bublé is more of a badass than any of you will ever be. He was like a commercial fisherman. Damn. Yeah, exactly. And his son survived childhood cancer. So everybody, just back off Michael Bublé for a second. <laughs> that being well, said, honestly, how can you be mad at Michael Bublé? Exactly. You know, like, like I don't have. He a could probably kick your ass. Yeah, probably. Frankly. I mean, he hawks sparkling water now and sings Christmas songs. And you know what? That's fine. That's fine with me. That's funny you should bring that up because Michael Buble isn't going to get off that easy. Because he took all the goodwill from that first album <laughs> and squandered it. By, by hawking sparkling water and no. Christmas songs. Specifically by recording Santa Buddy. A no-homo version of Santa Baby. Because as someone on Twitter once said, Michael Buble thinks he's better than us and that he doesn't have to suck Santa's dick like the rest of us. You think you're too good to suck Santa's dick? Is that it, Michael? I'm, I'm sorry. I, have, I, mean, I, I entered a fugue state for a second. <laughs> I was trying to construct a universe where Santa Buddy is the theme song to Santa Buddies. And that, that dog won't hunt. I'm sorry. <laughs> But will he help Santa save Christmas? <laughs> I mean, he's going to suck Santa's dick first. Wait, the dog or Michael Buble? Pick one. I don't know. I, this joke got out of hand fast. <laughs> As it usually does. But anyway. But no, okay. So I guess what I was going to ask about Michael Buble before you so weirdly interrupted me <laughs> was, is this movie just one big ad for Michael Buble's debut album? Yes. No, you know what the movie is that the soundtrack is? Okay, that's The fair. soundtrack is just tricking you into buying Michael Buble's de- debut album again. So I mean, if you bought which I did. the album, which I also did, and then you, you pull up the CD and, oh, look, there's a copy of Michael Buble's de- debut album right underneath. Yeah. You get two for one. Yep. So, it again, let's not shame Michael Buble for his somewhat vanilla oh, covers. You, you know what? Let's okay. shame him for Santa Buddy. I- 
I, breaking news. I uh, I actually have the CD in front of me, and I pulled out the uh, the liner notes, and out fell an ad for Michael Bublé's debut album. Please tweet a picture of that. I will. Warm up with the coolest new voice around, Michael Bublé, the debut album, a, vel- a velvety baritone and a debonair touch, says People Magazine. He really, he is, he is all of those. Actually, let me look up. There's, uh, there's another guy. If you like Michael Bublé, you might like Matt Dusk, who okay. uh, is also a Canadian jazz singer. That seems to be Canada's biggest export right now is, uh, uh, you know, jazz singers. As jazz singers tend to do. So way to go, Canada. Yeah. Yeah, his, um, his first album uh, came out in 2001. But his album Back in Town, which is his best album, although Ian, I think, would argue that Good News um, is also good, was released in 2006 and 2009. So he became the new Michael Buble. So when Michael Buble started recording Christmas albums, I guess. Yeah, just just like uh, every six or seven years, you have to have a new James Bond. You (laughs) you have to have a new Michael Buble. Yeah, every, every once in a while, a new Michael Buble has to appear. You know who should have played James Bond? Michael Bublé. No, I was going to say Ewan McGregor, and then I thought, no, he would have been terrible. Uh, Clive Owen, mm. who's like a serious Ewan McGregor, who's also hot. <laughs> He's like Ewan McGregor's dad. but like He's like Ewan McGregor's <laughs> gruff older brother that I would also like to make out with. Yep, that's fair. I get it. Ewan McGregor would make a good James Bond if they were trying to go like silly with James Bond movies, but nobody cares about silly James Bond anymore. Which is why we never got that. Well, I mean, we did. It was called Johnny English, and it was pretty good. Fair. Okay. I love Johnny English. Um, I know I shouldn't, but I'm a terrible garbage person, so. Also, it has a great theme song by one uh, Robbie Williams. Really? Man for All Seasons. Yes. Oh. Okay. Man for All Seasons is honestly the best James Bond song. Yeah, we neglected that uh, in our uh, our James <laughs> Bond episode. Don't worry, there's still more. It, uh, it, it goes Man for All Seasons, uh, Goldeneye, Spy Hard, and then, hmm. <laughs> Austin Powers, International <laughs> Man of Mystery. Yeah, Austin Powers. <laughs> Don't forget, the Austin Powers soundtracks all come out on vinyl next record store day in October. Woof. That's going to oh, be yeah. something. Hey, yes. uh, stay tuned for that. We keep talking about doing Austin Powers at some point. Ugh, we're going to have to. They're actually pretty legit yeah so but, uh, that's that's a, that's a long ways down the road yes we'll all be dead by then <laughs> lord willing <laughs> so so i i literally wrote in my notes at this point they turned the tables on each other a couple more times and ewan mcgregor eats a bar of chocolate in a really sexy way uh so much that i had to actually scream into a pillow for a good 15 seconds while my husband laughed he bit into the bar of chocolate that is already perfectly perforated for pulling it apart. God damn you, Ewan McGregor. No. God, it was so hot. I can't explain it, but it just like, and he's talking about like undressing. It's, it's just like he's undressing that bar of chocolate. And I just, I screamed. It's like eating a bar of Kit Kat sideways. What the fuck? Don't take this from me, Joe. <laughs> God damn it. Ugh. I should he's record myself best. screaming into a pillow and send it to you. <laughs> Like my 
horny scream. Just an entire an entire album of you screaming at me to shut the fuck up. You don't know what you're talking about. No. It's just like she makes me so mad. He's <laughs> wrong about everything. <laughs> Especially Michael Bublé. We're all wrong about Michael Bublé, but we're also all right about Michael Bublé. Mm-hmm. He's essentially the Joker. <laughs> I have no way to elaborate on that. This is, this is like Michael, put Michael Bublé in a Schrodinger box. He both is and isn't terrible. <laughs> he's gonna come down here and kill. <laughs> I just know it. He's gonna he's gonna find me and, and like drown me at sea. I just know it. <laughs> Tear me apart like fresh bread. <laughs> so Lord. when we got home, there was somebody sitting outside our house, and we pulled in, into our driveway. They drove away, and I'm pretty sure it was Michael Bublé. He's casing the house. <laughs> He's just like, oh, better not bring up Santa, buddy. God damn it! He made a bajillion dollars off that song, and it plays in every TJ Maxx 24/7 at Christmas. So. Again, he could just tie a bunch of $100 bills together into a rope and strangle me with it. <laughs> I, I have this image in my head of like him sitting on a, a throne made of like unsold, down-with-love soundtracks. And, <laughs> and, and human skulls. And human skulls and, and un, unopened cases of bubbly, sparkling water. And just thinking, how can I ruin Santa Baby further? Taylor Swift did a pretty good job, but I think I can make the worst one of all. And like suddenly he's like, he's the Grinch now, apparently. <laughs> and <laughs> he, he records Santa Buddy. And he, oh, he's, he's watching Santa Buddies on Netflix, and suddenly he gets an idea. <laughs> the worst Christmas special we've ever written. <laughs> This is amazing. So, we've got one more song to get through. Yeah, who who did who was our old arch nemesis? Because I think it's Michael Bublé now. He's both our arch nemesis and our best friend. Um, it was Steve Smashmouth, and nobody is going to be more of an arch nemesis to this podcast than Steve Smashmouth. I don't know. I feel like I feel like at this point, Steve Smashmouth is kind of like. Uh, uh, Who's like a fun villain, but one that you don't actually hate? A villain you actually like? Hmm. Brain Gremlin. Yeah, he's like the Brain Gremlin of this podcast. Like, we can't really hate him, but uh, he's always there. He's always in the background. <laughs> he's like the penguin of this podcast. No, but he gave it. Yeah, Michael Bublé didn't give anybody COVID, so. That we know of. Michael Bublé would never. You don't know that. I do know that. Because okay. of his good Canadian health care. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's true. He oh. can afford it. Exactly. In more ways than pile no- of skulls. Okay, let's let's <laughs> let's get back on topic. <laughs> Let, explain to me the end of this movie because it is bizarre. Okay, so you sorry. So Catcher Block goes to apply at Now Magazine which is Barbara Novak's magazine. Which I honestly thought they would have called it Yes Magazine, but I guess it's already a real magazine. <laughs> but then they couldn't get the you know how things are now at no. That's true. Exact... That's, a, that's a good scene. That's a, good a lot scene. of great wordplay in there. And he is confessing that he just wants to be married to her, that he wants her to have her career, that 
he became everything he thought every woman was. He's fallen in love and he just wants to be monogamous with her and work together. And she tells him, no, he tries his walk away trick uh, where he counts to five. And he looks back and she's not there because she's in the elevator, and meaning that she has, again, like topped him. She's beaten him. She's bested him at his own game. She's topped him, right? Huh? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because she asked if he could handle being in a position under a woman. Yes. And... I'd like to test that theory for myself, personally. Mm. I'm sure you would. And the, maybe the greatest final, like, like, closing shot of any movie I've ever seen. They go to the roof... And he like you know they they decide to get married. He says, "Let's go to Vegas. We can get married in an hour." And they go to the roof, and there's a NASA helicopter there waiting for them. And they throw down the the uh, ladder, and they get on the ladder, and then the helicopter just flies away into the sunset, into the you know rear projected sunset. And they're just making out on this ladder. I know, which stresses me out. <laughs> it really stresses me out. Just like the thought of like that kind of flight. Mm-hmm. But like it's it's ridiculous. It's patently absurd, but also, damn, I bet that's amazing. Yeah, you kind of want to do it. <laughs> you kind of want to so, do it. But this is not the last scene in the film. Not because Catch and Barbara have a new book called "Here's to Love," which Chris Parnell, aka Doctor Spaceman, uh, introduces us to, presumably on something like the Ed Sullivan Show, and. Ewan McGregor and Renee Zellweger perform Here's to Love. And you're the shaker. And maybe I should have packed a punch. Hey! You make Dean Martin look like a Quaker. But now it's only you for dinner. Breakfast? And lunch. I hear the march that's calling for us. We'll walk down the aisle to an angel's chorus. I'll be your rock if you'll be my daughter. This is legitimately my favorite thing in the whole world. Forever. This is, this is great. This is it's, really great. It nails that, like, peppy 1960s, not quite, like, into Burt Bacharach, although it does have, like, some of those chamber strings. Yeah. Um, it kind of treads that line between, like, big band and and uh, chamber and- pop. If you will. Yeah, yeah, and and it honestly, it's more screwball comedy than the movie is because like the the in the banter is like fast and clever, and they're moving at like a hundred miles an hour, but you get the message, and it's just two performers just like trying to outpace each other, and it's great. It's yes, and great. <laughs> I love this. Uh, Ian and I danced this at our wedding. It Aww. was our final. It was kind of our like closing dance. That's adorable. Yeah. this Like I said, this movie is like a, a huge part of me. Um, now, I'll say this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you might hate me for this. You can definitely tell this is two actors singing and not two singers. Yes. But they're two actors who are quite good at singing. They're, they're quite good at it. But like th- you, you just heard Michael Buble and now you're hearing Ewan McGregor sing. And, uh, I will no, say this. He's no Buble. No, but I have seen him live okay. singing, and he is very, very talented. He's he's the real deal. Um, 
in 2005, as a graduation present, my mom bought me tickets to see him in Guys and Dolls. He was playing Sky Masterson. And because I like seeing a man in skinny suits, what can I say? So Ian and I flew to London. It was our first vacation together. We'd only been dating about six months. We had seats in the second row. Wow. So he looked right at me. <laughs> and we were very close to the stage. There was no orchestra pit. So I was about 10 feet from him. He is ridiculously beautiful in person. His voice sounds amazing. And I saw Jane Kurkowski's boobs. So that was a fantastic evening for you. It was. I got to meet Jane Kurkowski at the stage door. So, and Ian looked at me. He's like, if you want to run away with Ewan McGregor, I understand. He did not come to the stage door. Alas, I did hear his motorcycle leaving though. Oh. Yes. But what's funny is I later read an article where uh, Renee Zellweger had called him up and was trying to get tickets. The show sold out. They never released a cast album, which is a goddamn shame. Uh, she couldn't get tickets to see it. Wow. I would have absolutely given her Ian's. <laughs> In a heartbeat. That's ruthless. I, it's Renee Zellweger, and I could have, she could have been my date, and she would have got me backstage. And... You would have been best friends, and it would have been a I know. And then Ewan McGregor would have eventually left his wife for me. Mm-hmm. I had it all planned out. She, if Renee Zellweger had just called me in 2005, I, we could have worked something out. Yep, yep. So I couldn't have given her my ticket because then Ian would have fallen in love with her, and it would have been like a thing. And right, it would just, just you, you yeah. can't you can't have that. Mm. You can't exactly. Have that. Uh, so yeah, that's my my Ewan McGregor story. That's as close as I ever came to Ewan McGregor. And the reason I saw Jane Krakowski's boobs is because when they did the song "Take Back Your Mink," the girls all undressed because the West End doesn't fuck around. <laughs> and from where I was sitting, uh, their backs were to the audience, but I could see like her right boob and years later when she showed up on 30 rock i was like holy shit it's jane krakowski i've seen her breasts nice yeah <laughs> it was like a bonding moment i was like okay there you go yeah so um they're perky and she's amazing <laughs> she's very friendly and very sweet and she smells delightful it's more than she, i ever needed to know about jane krakowski. i know she gave me a hug so i'm um, we do get one more Michael Bublé song over the credits. We do get uh, For Once in My Life, mm-hmm. which is, again, a jazz standard. Michael Bublé does a very vanilla jazz standardy mob jazz version of it. Mm-hmm. But should we, play, should we play a clip just to Let's wrap it up? Let's do it. For once in my life, I've got someone who needs me, someone I've needed so long. For once, unafraid, I can go where life leads me And somehow I know I'll be strong For once, I can touch what my heart... It's perfect for weddings. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a, it's, it fits. Yeah. It perfectly fits. So, um, were there any music videos for this? Not, other than Here's to Love. Other than Here's to Love, not that I had seen, but also not that I really looked for. So Okay. If we find one, we'll post it. That's too bad, though, because they could have had some fun with this. Yeah. It's just like that peak era where everybody was doing big, gigantic music videos. This would have been a lot of fun to have a music video for. Mm-hmm. So, Michael Buble could have rocked it. Oh, yeah. So, as hard as Michael Buble can rock anything. Like, a music, a big, brassy music video of Michael Buble singing Fly Me to the Moon. Like, come on. That just writes itself. Let's do it. Prince money. So. Oh, boy. All right. 
So what'd you think? That's yeah, that's that's down with love. And it, honestly, it's a, it's a, a like I said, a very fun album. It's a very quick listen to like there's 12 tracks and like half of them are orchestral pieces. But those pieces are just so uh, bright and fun. It's you, you don't really think about them too much. But yeah, I enjoy this album a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Put it on at your next cocktail party when yeah. those are legal again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, you have your, your uh, COVID speakeasies. Good Lord. <laughs> Nobody needs that. No. It's not one that I would go back to regularly, but I, I'm glad it exists. And I'm glad I have a copy for myself now because uh, yeah. it's good stuff. I was deeply obsessed with this in 2004. And again, partially because uh, Ian and I had just started dating. And I do remember picking this up. Uh, I had ordered it online and picking it up at my uh at my college post office you know you get the little slip in your in your mailbox says you have a package mm-hmm. and so um i think i grabbed it before i went to my uh rhetoric class and like had it with me so i i devoured this album in 2004 and so going back to it was um was really nice it was a really nice uh reminder of, of happy times yeah yeah it's it's a we need these every now and again, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's sort of like my Bill and Ted, if you will. Yeah, that's 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 perfectly fine. Yeah. Um, and I was surprised how, again, how much of this film I remembered. Like, every line. So And it, and it uh, still, it still like, holds up today. Like, it, it hasn't aged poorly at all. No. It's such a, it's such a 60s, like, period piece, sure. But, like, it still is as, as funny today as it was, you know, 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And it, it just works. It Especially if you're like film literate at all, it's just it's a fucking a plus good time. Yes. All right. So what are we doing next time, Joe? It's your pick. Uh, well, uh, next time uh, because everybody in the world is talking about this show right now. Uh, literally everyone. Literally everyone. Your dad and my mom and everybody we know is talking about Cobra Kai. So next time on the show, we're going to go all the way back to the '80s and talk about the original, the one, the only, the Karate Kid from Not- 1984. Not the Karate Kid with Walton Goggins in it, though. And not the Karate Kid with Will Smith's little kid in it, either. Okay. Well, we'll make do, I guess. You know what? If you really <laughs> wanted to do a whole series of the Karate Kid, just so we can talk about part three, so you can talk about Walton Goggins, that is a sacrifice I'm willing to make for you. Nah. It's not a <laughs> sacrifice I'm willing to make for him. Fair enough. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so go check out uh, Down With Love, and also get ready for the Karate Kid, because that is going to be... Uh, a very fun time. It's going to be a, a nostalgia trip for me, if nothing else. All right. That's a movie that what, I care very much about. That's that's what makes these podcasts so fun. Yeah. Getting to go back to movies we love and soundtracks we love. Absolutely. Uh, so I guess without uh, anything else to discuss, I guess the last thing I should say is Libby, uh, final thoughts on Down With Love. It's the best movie ever and I love it. It's my favorite movie of all time. Fair enough. Good enough yeah. for me. <laughs> Well, I guess that, that about does it. So, Libby, where can our listeners find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Libby Cudmore. You can find me on Instagram at record underscore Saturday. Or you can find me over at the Shattered Shield podcast. We're just starting season six. It's about to get dark. So, Joe, where can Ooh. they find you? Oh, boy. Well, you can find me on Twitter at Cordial Wombat. Or if you want to listen to me yell about Christmas movies all year round, you can f- find us Find me, rather, on uh, Twitter at Christmas Creeps. That's the name of my Christmas movie podcast. We just wrapped up the uh, Tim Allen Santa Claus trilogy. 
and we're getting ready to head into um, Home for the Horror Days, Christmas-themed horror movies, and I can't wait. <laughs> At what point do you do Santa Buddies? We did it 50 episodes ago. <laughs> so eat eat that. <laughs> But uh, if you want to follow us on Twitter, uh, we are at OST Party on Twitter, and you can email us anything from questions to uh, comments to hey re- requests for episodes we might do in the future at OSTPartyPod at gmail.com. And hey, you know, do all the fun stuff that podcasts tell you to do. Like and subscribe and tell a friend about the show because this is a party and we want to keep the party rolling. And we have so much fun doing this that we, we want people to get excited about it with us. Yes, don't tell Michael Buble though, because we're scared of him. No, yeah, he he uh, he. This just stays our little secret. He's a terrifying, uh, almost kind of a terrifying little man. But no, <laughs> he is a, he's a terrifying gentleman, and I don't want to be on his bad side. So please, just keep this up between us, okay? <laughs> All right. Well, so until then, until next time, friends. Uh, this has been the OST party. I am Joseph Wade, and I'm Libby Cudmore. Buy the ticket. Take the ride. Better days and getaways, cause every day is a holiday.